Amen. Well, uh, as I said earlier, we are excited today to have with us Pastor Keith Tusi, and uh, you may or may not be familiar. How many of you heard Pastor Keith before? Anybody of you heard Pastor Keith? Awesome. Well, if you haven't heard him, you're in for a great treat today. Pastor Keith is uh, a part of the apostolic team of NRP. Uh, he, he's been in ministry for over 30 years, pastored for over 18 years, planted seven churches, uh, and has reaped havoc on hell. Uh, that's probably the thing I like about him the most, is he, everywhere he goes, he just gives the devil trouble, and it's a great thing. And uh, he has marked this world for the glory of God. He has an amazing anointing to minister the word of the Lord. He definitely is one of those generals in the faith uh, that have definitely led the charge for so many people, and it's our honor and our joy uh, to be connected with him. So I want you to give him a great big Alabama welcome. Let him know how honored we are to have him with us today. Come on, guys. Let's let him know we're glad to have the man of God here today. Amen. Oh, it's a good morning to be here. Hallelujah. I'd rather be here than in jail. How about you? Amen. Celebrate my freedom every day. Bless the Lord. God is good. God is good. Thank you for that kind introduction, Pastor Keith. Amen. Got two Pastor Keiths here today. What could be better? Right? I and mean, that's a good thing, right? Some people are going, oh, no, two of them. Well, God will give you what you need, I guess, huh? I want you to open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard translation. We're going to read about 10 verses of Scripture there, okay? We're going to launch out of there. It's so good to, to be here with you. I feel like I'm very at home here. I feel like I'm a, kind of my uncle in this uh, move of God here, you know. I'm so honored to be connected and uh, so glad that your pastor is a, one of my covenant brothers and we get to work together and, and do things and, you know, uh, Right now, we've been working together on the church relaunch in Albertville. That's very exciting, amen? You know what that means for you? That means that now we have two tribe members in the same region, okay? And so then when you guys plant the next church, prophecy, okay, uh, that means you got a three-fold cord that's not easily broken. Now we, can, now we can legitimately start talking about taking a region, amen? That's how it works. We multiply in Jesus' name. So you've sown into something that you're going to read back pretty quick, I think. Hallelujah. But I, I just want to honor all the people that took time with Darren and Nicole and invested them, encouraged them, prayed for them, made room for them. They are changed people. I got a great letter of testimony from them. I'm going to get to share with our other pastors about how Keith's ministry and all you impacted their lives. And it's, it's a great thing to be a part of something. And I say all that for a reason, because I'm going to talk to you about being connected today. And uh, your pastor and this leadership team demonstrate all the things I'm talking about. So they're never asking you to do something that they're not walking in. You need to know that that's an important part of leadership integrity. But let's read uh, this passage of scripture, these 10 verses, and then we're going to have some fun going through this today. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Father, I thank you for the tongue of the learned. I thank you for anointed lips and open hearts today, God, that your word would take root, God, in the name of Jesus and produce a harvest in Jesus' name. The context of the book of Hebrews is that Jewish believers that have come to Christ now are trying to understand what part 
of their Jewish history and tradition is now no longer a part of their faith in moving on. And the truth is today, I think most of the church is very confused about this, and I think a good reading of the book of Hebrews would actually help us out. The truth is that God's law still stands, that God's covenant still stands, that God's moral things still stand. What has been left, left behind are two parts of the law, the ceremonial part and the sacrificial part. And he labors in this book and keeps hammering the point that Jesus is the supreme sacrifice that's once and done. It's done for all, and so perfect was his sacrifice that he's never going to do it again, and there's no other sacrifice that they need to do again. As a matter of fact, he even goes further and teaches that if they try to do some other sacrifice and try to add something to the blood of Jesus, that it actually frustrates the grace of God. So it's a very strong thing. Now, at the end of this chapter, he even begins to get a transition, which is where we're going to go today, that God not only saved us from something, but God saved us to something. Many believers today, my heart actually feels bad for them, and evangelical and charismatic circles are so excited, hopefully, about being saved from something, they forgot to follow the roadmap, the Word of God, and say, what has God saved me for? God didn't just save me from something, God saved me for something, and he is absolutely committed to get us to that destiny. Do you understand that? God is never going to leave go of that. You can kick, you can scream, you can whine. God is not going to change his mind. God has plan A, plan A works. If you don't like it, go back to go, start over, and that's how it's going to be. Amen? And he's actually dealing with that in this chapter here. Now, in the beginning of the chapter that I didn't read, it's one of my favorite verses at Christmas time, actually, verse 4. He says, Sacrifices and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Jesus donned an earth suit. He became flesh. He pre-existed. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is not a created being. Everything the book of Colossians says was created by him and through him, and there was nothing that was created was not created by him. So Jesus is part of what we call the Trinity, the Godhead. Okay? He is not a created being. He created the beginning. Amen? That's who he is. But he came to earth, manifested himself in flesh so we could understand the Father. And then he, I want you to follow this train of thought with me, he became a body so that he could present to God a body. Jesus' appearance in the flesh as a body was prophetic of the fact that now at the end of redemption, when he arose and presented his blood to the Father, he now made a way for every member of the human race, if they chose his redemption, to be part of the body of Christ. Literally and figuratively. Prophetically and functionally. And we've got to understand that God treats that very sacred. Now, in the same passage, in verse 21, he says that Jesus is a priest over the house of God. That gives us a hint about something. So Jesus is not just a priest over individuals, which he is, he's our great high priest, but he's a priest over the house of God. It tells you what God is trying to build. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? In Ephesians 2, where he's giving the same kind of lesson and he's instructing the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers that are coming together, he says, I've torn down the wall of separation between you. He said that the church might be a habitation and that we might become the household of God. And that's a great word because a household is different than just a structure. A household is a place where you have hospitality, amen? Uh, Pastor Keith and Kelly opened up their home to me last night and they served me something that I've never had. And I'm basically a land shark, so I eat everything, you know? Uh, but I never knew that you could have barbecue inside your potatoes. They don't grow potatoes like that in Pennsylvania. We put, I've, never, I've never seen a potato. I'm going to go back and try to plant some of those potatoes. But they, they started dishing it out. And I said, if you dish it out, I'll eat it, okay? Hey, but I felt very comfortable. I said, give me some more sour cream. Give me some salt. I need some cream for my coffee. I was just like, bring it here. 
And by the way, cream for your coffee. Listen, I got an issue with Southern people. I got to talk to you about this. This has really been bothering me. This powder stuff you guys use, what is that stuff? Does anybody know what is in that? I th- I'm afraid of that stuff. I'm, I don't, that is a Southern thing. Okay, that is a, they, they don't give you that. North. They have this stuff that comes from cows. It's called half and half, just so you know. Okay, you can buy it in a grocery store, all right? I'm just sharing that with you, all right? You can put it in the fridge. It'll keep for a long time. But anyway, just got that off my chest now. I just dealt with that. Okay, but anyway, household, hospitality. This is what God is trying to build. God saved you from something to something. God is a father. I'm at that stage in my life, our, our last child our, of our eight children graduates from high school this year. He's going to go off and join the military. Bless his heart. His mother's not too excited about it, but you got to let a man be a man. Amen. And I'm very proud of him for making that decision. But anyway, you know, when they say, oh, dad, what do you want for Christmas? Or what do you want for your birthday? Or what do you, you know what I say? I say, I just want y'all to come home. I want you to come and bring your wives home. I want you to come bring your husbands home. I want you to come bring those little, those little Tusi offspring. I'm the king of the gene pool here. So I want you to come and bring them all back here so I can fuss over them and stir them up and have some. There, you, there's nothing you can buy me. There's nothing you can do. There's nowhere we can go that'll give me more joy as crazy as we are and as loud as we are and how we fuss with each other sometimes. In spite of all that, there's no no more fun than getting y'all in a room and eating a meal together and just having a good time. That's a father's heart. Amen, that's right. Okay? And if an earthly father is like that, how much more are heavenly fathers like that? Amen, that's right. And if you're like me at all, I, I unfortunately was raised without a father. I had very little encounters with my father uh, growing up, and, and they were not positive, unfortunately. So, you know, when, when that is in your life, you, you have a wound there. You got something that needs to be healed, that needs to be remedied, because you know in your heart what a father's instinct should be. And I'll just share this with you. Maybe this is for somebody today here. You know, I got to the point in my walk with the Lord where instead of feeling bitter or angry at my father, I actually had godly compassion for him. Because I looked at my kids... And I thought, look at what he's missing. Look at what he gave up. And honestly, sometimes those that deserve love the least need it the most. And when my mom died, the funeral director called me and said, your father called and wants to know if he can come to the funeral. I said, yeah, it'd probably be a great thing. My kids had never met him. You know? And they said, "Uh, what do we do? I said, be respectful. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother. Didn't say you got to prove them, it just says you got to honor them. They said, what do we call him? I said, call him sir. That's what we did. It was the last time I saw him, I think. Okay? But, you know, that's just, I think it's for somebody here today, maybe. Just a little side note. But I'm trying to talk to you about the father's heart, that the father wants a family. He wants a body. He wants a household. You ready now, Levi? You got the word? You ready to tag team here? You're not ready to preach? You don't have the word? You sure? Okay, I'm just checking. If you get it, wave your hand at me now. Okay, all right. Okay. Just want to keep you on your toes there, boy. Okay. (laughs) So there's a lettuce patch in this chapter. Everybody ought to have a garden. God has a garden and you're part of it. But there's a lettuce patch. Let's look at verse 22. He says here in verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So there's three lettuces in this patch I want to talk to you about. The first one is, let us draw near. He just presents a great theological covenantal argument that the blood of Jesus is enough. Can I have an amen? Is the blood of Jesus enough or isn't it? It's time we learn to say amen, not just with our mouth, but with our life. And when the devil's accusing us and trying to trick us into being condemned, condemnation, right. right? It's a con job in the film like you're damned. That's what condemnation is, okay? That we say, wait a minute, we have full assurance. He said, let us draw near. See, the difference between condemnation will illuminate your sin and make you feel bad about it, but give you no remedy. 
Conviction will magnify your sin and let you feel bad about it, but give you a remedy. Condemnation pushes you away from the presence of God. Biblical conviction causes you to run toward the presence of God. So in my life, I've got a path that's worn in my life. In my mind's eye, I've got this path. Those angels say, oh, no, here comes Tusi again. You know, he's back. He's back for more. And I'm going to be back tomorrow. I'm going to be back the day after that. And you're probably going to see me a whole lot because I'm just going to keep. I am not going to be conned into being damned. I'm not going to take the price that Jesus Christ paid for me and treat it as if it is not sacred. And see, you can be falsely humble, you can be religious, and think that somehow God is getting some pleasure for that. I'll tell you a little story. I got saved in 1975. And I, by the grace of God, thank God I was in a good church, I, I, I stumbled forward. I, I, I was falling forward in the right direction. You know, the sanctification process was going on in my life and God was delivering me from being an addict and delivering me from being an idiot and delivering me from hurting myself and hurting other people and, and all the things that were active in my life. In my high school class, I was voted the most likely to die. I was an accident looking for a place to happen. And so about four or five years into this walk, this walk with the Lord, I came to some revelation of this understanding. I mean, not just information, but impartation. And I was beginning to get it, you know, hallelujah. God was enlightening my soul. And finally there came a point in my life where I just said, okay, Lord, I am going to make a covenant with you. And I take, I take my word very serious. And I made a covenant with God. And I, I'll tell you, uh, I'd recommend it, but I'd recommend it in the fear of the Lord. Because if you make it, you got to keep it. But I just came to that point where I said, God, from this point on in my life, when I confess my sin to you, and I tell you what I've done, as if, you know, like, we pretend like God doesn't know it. Like, when we confess our sin, he goes, oh, my goodness, I didn't know about that. He knows all about it. He wants us to know all about it. Okay? I said, I'm never going to confess my sin again without ending the prayer. I thank you that I now stand forgiven. I challenge you on that. Matter of fact, let's just say it together. I now stand forgiven. See, where grace, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Greasy grace won't get you there, but effectual grace will get you there. Amen? So we make a path. We let us draw near. That's what he's saying. Don't have a wall. Don't wait for a certain day. Don't wait for Sunday morning. Don't wait for a sacrifice day. It's already been done. You're as redeemed and saved as you're ever going to be. It's time to act like it. It's time to celebrate the forgiveness and not demean the forgiveness. This is no time to be falsely humble or religious. This is time to run. The enemy's trying to pin death on you. You got to run to the Lord. Amen. Let us draw near. That's the first thing in your garden, in your lettuce patch. Let us draw near. Then in the, in the next verse, this is what he says, verse 23. Let's pop that up here. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession of our hope? That everything I am and everything I will be and everything I need is dependent on Jesus Christ. My hope is in Christ. My hope is not in my resume. My hope is not in my education. My hope is not in my first birth. My hope is not in my promotion. My hope is not in my finances. My hope is not in my health. My, help is, my hope is not in anything. My hope, my confession, my declaration, my covenant statement is my hope is in Jesus. He is who he said he is and he'll do what he'll say he'll do and I'm along for the ride. Hallelujah. Amen. That ought to be our hope. And the enemy is always trying to steal your confession. He's always trying to get you to believe that you need something else. If I just had this, if I just had that, that's icing on the cake. God wants to give us some of those blessings, but he's the blesser. Amen. The confession of our hope. Let us hold fast. Don't go back. Don't start thinking. It's Jesus plus nothing. Okay. You can't add anything. You demur him. You bring him down when you do that. And then in verse 24, he says something else. He said, let us, here we go. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good needs. Not like the King James here. It says, let us learn how to provoke one another to good works. Matter of fact, that word, that provoke word, that stimulate word is only used one other time in the, in the New Testament, that Greek word. And it's a very kind of in-your-face word. It's not like an encouraging word. It's kind of an in-your-face word. 
And it really begins to talk about how we should relate to each other, how we should challenge one another. But we're never going to be able to do that if we're always thinking about who we are rather than what our role is. See, if I'm not confident in what God has done in me, then I'm not going to be able to speak to you and say, come on, brother, come on, go forward, get on it, do, do what God's called you to do, rise up, man of God. Okay, we're going to think, well, who, who am I? Well, right, who are you? You're nobody. But Jesus is somebody, and he told you to speak, so you ought to obey him. Amen? We need to be very conscious that when we speak the word of God, we are not speaking out of our resume. We are speaking out of our redemption. Our thus saith the Lord comes from the word of God. Okay? Now, we want our resume to line up, but that's not our authority. That's our fruit. There's a difference. We need to speak from a sound base of authority, and that authority comes from God and what he's told us to say, hallelujah. So we're going through this passage here now, and he says, let us learn to provoke one another unto good works. Let us do that. And then he begins to change gears a little bit to bring this thing to pass that we've been saved from something to something. In the next verse, he says, verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling. Let's stop right there. Not forsaking. The Greek word forsaking here means to, to, to demoralize it, to take away value, to not consider, to not honor, not forsaking. Don't get a bad attitude about our own assembling. Now, in my Bible, I have the word own circle, circled. And the reason I have it own, because I got to lead the way. First, it's about me before it's about somebody else. Amen? Amen. I have to have the lordship of Jesus operating in my life. I've got to be under his government. Matter of fact, you know, as, as a pastor, I would have people get mad at me sometimes. Can you imagine that? Nice guy like me, people getting mad at me. I just find it amazing. Hallelujah. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But sometimes people get mad at me. And they say, Pastor Keith, you're just trying to control me. I'd say, well, why don't you get control of your own life, and then you could lead me to go control somebody else that's out of control. I said, why should I have to be spending my time trying to get you to do what you know is the right thing to do? You should be under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and his spirit should be controlling you. So get over yourself. Quit blaming it on me. Get your life in order and start walking under the control of the Holy Ghost. Amen? See, I don't deny reality. I just walk, try to walk in it. Let us assemble our own selves. Now, the word assemble here is not just mean to come together. It doesn't mean to show up at the same place at the same time. A mob can do that. A pep rally can do that. You can do that at a football game, right? But this is talking about people being intricately linked together. Assembly required. Guys, you ever read, get those, those, those boxes you open on Christmas Eve? Assembly, assembly required, and you start, you start praying for the guy who wrote those directions so that if you ever met him, you wouldn't lay hands on him suddenly, right? Yeah, I've been there and done that, because you can't hand a five-year-old a box with a bunch of loose pieces in it in the morning, right? You got to have that thing assembled. He wants to see, he wants to see the finished product, and, and that's how we are. God wants us assembled. He wants us to follow the directions. He wants us to be fit and intricately put together, not as a mob, but as a body and as an army so that we can be mobilized, Amen, right. knit together. Right. You know, when you look at Israel as a body, and when God wanted to move them, he gave them a specific marching order. Every tribe had an exact place. Every head of household in every tribe had an exact place. So when the cloud moved or the pillar of fire moved, they literally could pick up their tents. They could pick up the tabernacle. They could pick up everything, and they could literally just begin to pick that up. And if one man with about 6 million people on the ground, that's the population of the state of Pennsylvania, with about 6 million people on the ground, they would know if one person was out of place. That's a picture of the church. The church is not a secondary idea to God. He was prophetically speaking of what his family would look like, what his army would look like, so that we could move, so that we could be mobilized. And if we are not assembled, if we're just a mob, we'll just go our own direction, and we won't even know that we've missed the purpose of God. That's not what God wants. God is a father. He wants us to be absolutely, intricately connected together, not forsaking our own assembling 
together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another more as you see the day drawing near. God saved us from something to something. He is trying to build a body. He is desperately trying to get us connected. Let me make a statement to you. It might sound sacrilegious to you at first, but I really want you to think about it. Jesus Christ has done everything about saving you that he's ever going to do. So, well, Pastor Keith, how can you say that? I just read it to you. One sacrifice, done forever, never to be offered again. I didn't say the Holy Spirit's done. I said legally, covenantally, Jesus has done everything about saving you that he's ever going to do. I'll take it a step further. He's done everything about saving the world that he's ever going to do. And now he's commissioned the church to take that message and authority of redemption to the world and invite them in, not just to respond to a message, but to respond to a mandate of what God wants to do on this planet. We've got most of the Christian world that is waiting to die to go to heaven, and God is waiting for us to live to bring heaven to earth. He told us to pray, thy kingdom come. Like, that's not, a, that's not a wussy prayer. That's a, that's a violent prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Have you read the newspaper lately? Have you watched the news lately? Our culture is desperately in need of the kingdom of God to come to earth and touch men's thinking. But I'm going to tell you a little secret here. The only way we're going to have the authority to move in that realm, and it's going to take authority, Okay? I mean, we're pretty slick operation today. You know, we got a lot of great churches. I, mean, I think it's pretty cool how we do things, you know? We got gadgets and we got this, we, and we got all kind of cool stuff. And it's good. And God honors that. And we ought to do it with excellence 100%. But I'm going to tell you, if, if you don't have authority to apply that thing, it's not, not, not going to move it. Are you with me? We've got to have God's spiritual authority to do that in the name of Jesus. Because he is building something according to his prescription and his blueprint that he's, it's, it's non-negotiable. It is what it is. It's called his church. And he said he will build it. And Jesus, contrary to some popular thinking, is not coming back on a rescue movement. He's coming back at a coronation. He's coming back for a wedding. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back for a beat up mistress. And I want to be part of that wedding party. How about you? Hallelujah. Amen. He's coming back for victory because that is his plan. And that's what he equated us to do. And I started to say what was until we have internal integrity, until the church operates like God has designed us to operate, then we're never going to have the outward demonstration that we're capable of. And that starts with us being intimately connected to God and to each other and to God's purpose. It's not enough to attend. It's not enough to say amen. God's plan of redemption for you was to have you to fit into something. He's a father and he wants you to be part of the family, not just to attend a family reunion here and there as you go through your spiritual life. That's what God's intentions are, to be connected. Now, if you understand that and you dare to believe that, I want you to think about the strength of this text right here. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. He says that's what some people are going to do. That's, good. that's the habit of some. Most times it's not conscious, it's subconscious. Something interrupts that. You've seen it. Maybe it's happened to you already. Maybe you know friends it's happened to. Maybe you see it happening to some people you care about right now. They've just got tripped up into a habit. Some other value, some other priority has somehow got their attention. And they're justifying the fact that, well, you know, you don't have to go to church. Listen, I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about being part of the church. There's a big difference. Going to church is a manifestation of being part of the church. God doesn't want you checking in and checking out like you're a hat at a nightclub, okay? God wants you to be a part of what he is doing on the earth, and that means being connected. That means dropping your walls. That means offering everything you are and everything you're not. It means getting a revelation that my greatest ability is my availability. Hallelujah. 
The truth is that when you're connected, you exponentially increase your value and your function and your fruit and everything else you can do as far as mankind is concerned. Obviously, your value is determined by the price that was paid for you in Jesus Christ. But he says here, in verse 26 now, for if we go on sinning, now wait a minute here, I, I, I made the statement to you that Jesus has done everything about saving you that he's going to do. But I also told you that he saved you from something to something. And if we don't go to that something, we are now in sin. I did say that. I had a guy say to me one time, well, Pastor Keith, when you preach, you act like if people aren't connected to the local church, they're in sin. I said, I'm not acting like it. I'm telling you that's the truth. I said, we got all these charismatic cliches flying around. We got all these people making these bizarre arguments about how they don't need the church. And you know what they're really doing? They're offending God. They're acting like they're smarter than God. They're saying, God, I don't need your plan. I got my own plan. I'm going to take my salvation and I'm going to hijack it and I'm going to use it for my own purpose. I'm telling you, they're in trouble with God. It's nothing but a little bit of spiritual humanism that's been mixed up and stirred together, and it's all about me. Listen, individualism is a lie. God never created us to be a, an I. He created us to be a we. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a little story. 19, whatever it was. Penny and I were first married. I was sitting on our couch, and I wasn't feeling well, you know, just a little flu or something. And I was just speaking the word over my life. I was just saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I'm healed. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I was just speaking the word, and the, I had a Holy Spirit moment there. I had a little visitation. From, don't you like when that happens? When God just interrupts you. I was all by myself, and the Holy Spirit just said, my word doesn't say that. And boy, did the Holy Ghost have my attention. And I went, I opened up my Bible, as I, I, the book of Isaiah. I was, I was like, I was going to argue with you. Ever, you talk about being stupid. Oh, God, let me show you. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's how weird we can be. Fear me. Huh? And I looked at it, and I thought, it doesn't say I. It says we. And then I began to go through the Bible, and everywhere where I was saying I, God was saying we. That was a revelation to me. And I begin to realize that if I understand that by his stripes we are healed, if I understand by that we are the righteous of God, it's not just about me, it becomes about us. Now the picture has just gotten greater. The covenant reality has just gotten bigger. So now I'm not just hijacking Christian principles for self-improvement in my life. You can say amen. Somebody, please, beside the pastor. Some, somebody say amen to your pastor's amen. Can I have an amen? Please, I'll pay you for it. What's it cost to get an amen around here? It's not about you. Get over yourself. You'll never be able to connect if you're a self-focused person. I'm not mad at you. I'm pleading with you. I'm provoking you. I'm telling you, you can be your own worst enemy. We've even preached the gospel wrong. We've lied to people. We've told them crazy things like, Jesus wants to be a part of your life. I want you to think about that for a minute. You don't even want to be a part of some of your life. There's parts of your life you, you don't even want to deal with. Why would he want to live in that? He wants to change it. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants you to come and join him. He wants you to be a part of his life. He's the life giver. He's the Lord of life. From him comes the spirit of life. Amen? We need to give our life to him. It's not him giving his life to us. He already did that. I read it to you. It's time for you to give your life to him and quit putting him in a little box where you let him out a couple Sunday mornings here and there and throw a couple dollars at him like a mercenary. He doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants you to join him. He wants you to join his agenda. He's got a plan, and it don't matter how cute you are or how much you whine, he's not going to change it. I've had people say to me, literally, well, you know, when I was pastoring, especially, I'm not pastoring now, but, but I'm still pastoring. I'm still part of a church, hallelujah. Still a member of church, still pay my tithe to my church, still help the pastor at our church. I'm not around on Sundays, but I'm part of the church because I'm at your church today, hallelujah. 
But you can't be part of the church unless you're part of a church, by the way. Hello? Can't be part of something out there if you can't be some part of something right here. No extra charge for that. <clears throat> he tells us right here that if we do not follow that, that we are sinning, that we are resisting. If you go on sinning willfully with your will saying, I will not connect. Well, look at those people. They got those problems. They, well, yeah, okay. I don't see any escape hatch here. Do you? No. No. If there was a perfect church and you joined it, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Right? So let's get that out of the way. That, come on. Give me a break. God knows what he's doing. We are arrogant to think that we can have a plan that is superior to God's. He said, I will build my church. He said, that church should be the pillar of truth. Amen? And it's for that church that he's returning. It's for that church that he came. Jesus gave himself a body that he might present the Father a body. What don't we understand about this? We have no choice but to be connected if we are going to continue in the plan of redemption. When you got born again, God saved you from your sins. And in that process of being connection, God saves you from yourself. took me a few years to figure that out. First, God saved me from my sin. Then he saved me from myself. Because myself is pretty ugly. Myself is all about self. <laughs> and connection is the thing that saves me from doing that. So I cannot go longer sin. I have got to relate to what God relates to. I bet you the angels, if they could scratch their heads, they do. They must look at us and wonder in amazement some of the bizarre things we come up with. We have many, I guess they're believers, I'm not sure. Statistically, you know, some of these people that take polls and stuff, they say that 50% of the people that claim to be born again in the United States do not attend church at all, hardly. 50%. And I don't know if that number is accurate. I don't know if those people are really saved or if they're not really saved. But there's got to be something to that. And you and I both know a lot of people that have come through the doors of this church and other churches. And they're nowhere to be found. It's a national epidemic. We are living in a crisis. We are reflecting the culture rather than the culture reflecting us. We've become a nation of quitters. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm shaking us. I'm saying, listen, God has a plan. God has a remedy. It's not like we don't know what to do. We've got to be committed to doing what God told us to do. He said, I want you to be connected. I don't want you to forsake this. I don't want you to develop these bad habits. So if you were the devil, what would you try to do? I'm not saying you are the devil. I'm just saying if you were the devil. What would you try to do? You'd try to separate people. You'd try to disconnect people. You'd try to get people offended. You'd try to get people misled. You'd try to give them a, a weird belief system. You would do everything you could to separate them from the mothership where there is life. And that's exactly what he's doing. And we've got people out there writing books and theological discourses on, on why it's okay to do it. And they are offending the Spirit of God. We've got people with national ministries who are not even associated with the church. And they're trying to speak life to the church. They don't have authority to do it. They don't have authority to do it. How can you relate to the head of something and not relate to the body of something. I want you to think about this. How? It's weird. I don't know another word for it. If I came to your house and I knocked on the door and you said, bring your head inside but leave the rest of you outside, I would say, you have a problem. Because <laughs> you're not separating my head from my body. They are one. You take me, you take the whole deal. Yet we have people out there saying, I have a relation with God, but I am not related to his body. It's heresy, number one. Number two, it's not even reasonable. And it's time that we provoke some of these people in love, but in truth to say, you know what? You are wrong. You are in sin. God saved you from something. 
to save you to something. He's got a purpose from you. And if you're too good and you're too smart to go to any church, then you should be out planting churches. You should be an apostle and you should be out there planting churches to show us how to do it. I told a guy that recently. He wasn't real happy with me. Asked me if I cared. I actually do care. That's the sad part. No, that's part of the good part. I do care. I do care. But I want them to care more about the truth than my opinion. Okay? So we have, we have eight children in our family. And over the years, we've been invited to people's house for dinner. And most people are, figure out a gracious way to invite us and not our kids. You know? That'd be a very expensive proposition. But I've never had anybody say to me, we want you and Penny to come to dinner, but we hate your kids, and we don't want to associate with them. We want to associate with the head of the family, but we don't want to associate with the rest of the family. Do you think I'd want to have a relationship with a person like that? Well, of course my kids are imperfect. How do you think God feels when people act that way toward him? God, I want to relate to you, but I hate your kids. When I hear people curse the church, I just take a step back because I don't want to be in the same lightning zone. I'm telling you something, church. God's body is sacred. The local church is sacred to God. He saved you not just to get you to heaven, but he saved you to bring you into that body that that body could bring heaven to to earth and if you get that then you have a great chance of the holy spirit empowering you to get through some of the legitimate barriers we have in life about connecting you know like by nature i'm not a real open person i'm just telling you it takes you know like my wife we've been married for 37 years and she's still prodding me about stuff I'm not prophesying to you, brother. I'm just, you know, I'm just sharing. Just, just, just sharing. She's still proud of me. Like, why? Why are you like that? I said, well, you know, I just, I'm just, you know, I'm not like you. I'm not like open, you know? You know? I go, I go and stay with uh, Brother Rod and Sister Mary. They have a little cabin in their backyard, you know? And I'll go stay there when I'm traveling or ministering to other churches in the area. And, and I'll go over and bang on the glass door about 6 or 7 in the morning. And I'll open the door and say, man on the floor! You know, I'll go and start making coffee and stuff, and Brother Rod and Mary will come down, and they'll just start. You know what I mean? I wish I could videotape this. I could sell it. Okay? And they'll just start, you know? And they're just so open about everything. <laughs> you know? You just never know what they're going to say in front of God and people and everything. And I'm like, I'm like, you're making me nervous. I'm just not like that. I, I got to get to know you. I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, you know what I mean? I, I, I just can't go there real quick. But I thank God for them being in my life because that has matured me a lot. It has showed me how to connect to a greater level, to be open, to be vulnerable, to go beyond my comfort zone, to let the Lord put the light on some of my issues. Okay? And the amazing thing is they know all about me and they still love me. That's an amazing thing. That's a reality in my life, not a theory anymore. Hallelujah. That's a great place to breathe. I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it is absolutely necessary. God wants you connected. Not on the fringe. He wants you intimately connected. I'm going to show you a couple pictures. I'm going to give you an illustration that the Lord kind of worked on me uh, just this past year. Kind of a personal, personal story. I'm looking for my prop here. It's in my pocket. I carry it around in my briefcase, actually. But it's in my... It's in my pocket. It's in my pocket. It's in my pocket. There it is. It's in my pocket. Anybody know what that is? What is that, guys? Somebody said it. It's an ignition switch. For some of you have, you know, um, if you're, um, you know, if you got an older car and the, the ignition switch is on the steering column, anybody still have one of those? Yeah, come on now. Well, that's what that is. So the Lord taught me a great, uh, a great lesson from this about connection. I want, I want to, sh- I want to share it with you. Show that, show that picture. <clears throat> I, have a, I have an aunt. She's the last living sibling of my mother's family. And my uncle died a couple years ago. 
And this car was in their garage. It's over 40 years old. It's a 1973 American Motors Javelin. American Motors doesn't even exist anymore. And uh, this car sat in her garage, hadn't been moved in a decade, you know. And uh, so finally she called my brother and she said, uh, you know, if he wanted the car, uh, that he could have the car. And he really wasn't interested. He's not a car guy. I kind of like cars. So we worked out a deal and I gave him a little bit and I got the car. So uh, she lives about 150 miles from me. So, you know, the car sat for 10 years. I wasn't going to try to drive it down the highway. So I sent a flatbed truck to go get it. And so they go to get the car to go to wheeled up. And the guy calls me. So I got a little bit of problem. He goes, what? He goes, well, your aunt had the wrong keys and she stuck in the ignition. She broke the keys off. She got the ignition meshed up. The wheels are locked to the side. I can't get it on the truck. He said, I'm going to have to put a, like, a dent puller in. That's what you do. That's how you used to steal cars in old days. You throw a dent puller in an ignition, you pop the ignition, stick a screwdriver in and start it right up. He said, well, that's what I'm going to have to do. He said, well, I said, we've come this far. <laughs> we got to move the car, you know. It's the key's not going to grow in the ignition. You know, I don't believe in evolution, do you? But anyway, so, so he gets the car all loaded up, and I, I get the car, we get it down, and I do a couple little maintenance, change oil, change, you know, do, you know, get up so I can start. I stick the old key, and he stick the old key, you know, in the steering column, pff, starts right up, just, just purrs, you know. So, uh, it, it, by the way, this is exactly how it go- This is the condition this car was in. It's never been painted. It's never been touched. I washed it and cleaned it up, changed a few filters, and that's, it's a little six-cylinder, three-speed, 232 Jeep engine, because American Motors owned Jeep at the time. Car runs down the road, doesn't rattle, doesn't squeak. It's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, see, people stop and look at this car. You know, like, wow. You know, like, what kind of car is that? It's a Javelin. What's that? You know what I mean? And, uh, but it, it's, a pretty, it's a really cool car. It's, a very, it's just beautiful. And, uh, but I had this problem, and I thought I ought to replace the screwdriver because it looks like I boosted the car. It looks like I stole the car, you know? And uh, I, I probably ought to do something about it. And it kind of takes away when you get this nice car. And you say, oh, excuse me. You pull your screwdriver out and start the car, you know? <laughs> so I thought, no big deal. I'm, I'm just telling you a long story because I want you to get, get, get this. You're going to appreciate this. So I get the ignition. I, you know, I get a locksmith guy to help me. He puts it in. We turn it. And nothing happens. And he goes, oh, you got another problem. I go, and he goes, well, when they pulled this out of there, there's a little deal on that steering column on the side that it plugs into and when they pulled it out it's it broke that piece off I thought, well, big deal we'll just get that piece you know so i take it over to my my mechanic because i got other things to do with my time right now and uh so he calls me he said do you want the good news or the bad news i said what do you mean he said well the good news is we can get the part i said well what's the bad news he said it cost eight hundred dollars I said, what? I said, it, it's worth maybe a dollar. It's a little piece of metal. It's like smaller than a nickel. He said, yeah, but you got to realize that the people that have that part, they want to sell you the whole steering column. They're not going to, they, they've hung on to these parts and you got to buy the whole steering column. I mean, the steering wheel, the whole, I mean, everything clear down to where it plugs into the, to the front end, you know, mechanism of the car, so you turn the wheel. I said, well, that's, I said, I ain't buying, I, you know, what am I going to do? He said, I, I don't know. See, he calls me a few days later. He said, ah, I got something. That's what he said. I found a guy that had an old broken steering column. Do you believe this? I and mean, this is a 40-some-year-old car. This guy's got an old broken steering. He finds them on the Internet. He said, and he'll sell it to you. It has the right part in it. We'll have to take it out, and they'll sell it to you for $80. I was so excited. I had never been so excited to pay 80 times the price of what something was worth in my whole life. I was paying $80 for that part, and I thought I just got the best deal on the planet. Hallelujah. And I was so excited about it, and we got it all going, and now when I start the car, it doesn't look like I just stole it off somebody. You know, I actually got a key and everything. But I've been carrying this way because in this whole process, the Holy Spirit is talking to me about this. And then I'd have people stop and admire the car, you know. And I never had one person say, man, is that a nice keyhole you have? <laughs> or man, you have a key that goes with this car. This is really a special car. You have a key. 
they would walk around and say, there's no rust. Is that the original paint? Is that the original roof? Is that how it comes? Does these seats look like it? Does the mo-? you know, and they're asking, and they're looking, yeah, this is, I never saw, it. it's got some really cool switches on the dashboard, like levers and stuff. It's cool, you know, the radio's kind of, it's just a neat car. But anyway, no one ever mentions this. And I want to hang a tag and say, look at my $80 keyhole. Would you please acknowledge this? That's why I really am in life. (laughs) Here's the deal. Here's the lesson. What you're connected to exponentially affects your function. The reason that little part is worth so much is because it completed the whole. And some of you in your life, I'm prophesying to you now, You have looked at yourself intrinsically. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not this. But God sees a dollar part that's worth eight million. Because he knows you're a part of something bigger. So does your adversary. And he will do everything he can to get you to demean that little part that just takes away from the whole. What you're connected to, getting a God-breathed and birth revelation that even you, everything you are and everything you're not, you complete the whole. Then I started thinking about, how about this crazy guy that had a broken steering column hanging on his garage wall for 20 years. What did he see in there that knew that someday some guy was going to call him from two states away and say, could I buy your broken part that only you and I, probably on the face of this planet, think has any worth? You hearing this? God doesn't give up on you. And some of you maybe feel like you've been hanging on the garage wall for a few years. But I'm going to tell you what. God can blow the dust off in a moment. Some of you he's been preparing for a long time. He's been seasoning you. Your lettuce patch has been getting ripe. He's been fertilizing it. He's been getting it ready. Hallelujah. But the intention all the time is to make it work, to connect it right where it goes. And you know what the crazy part is? Some people will never even notice, but God will. One of the DNA things I love about this church, and there are many, is not just that there's a servant's heart in this church where many of you are serving, but I get the divine suspicion that some of you have actually got this figured out because I see joy, I see excitement, I see excellence. Coming to two or three services every Sunday, serving in one and going to another and helping somebody else because something has clicked and you're saying, you know, I'm just part of something bigger than me. And that little thing in and of itself, if it was just standing alone, it would be a conversation piece at best. But because it's connected to the whole, now its value has exponentially exploded. When God bought you, when Jesus gave his life for you, that's what he saw. Can you imagine his frustration when he, you will not let him put you into place? That's why he calls it sin, because it's resisting the purpose of God. So I want to provoke you this morning, if I haven't already. I want to challenge you to overcome every obstacle that would make you a mere church attender the rest of your life. 
to open up your heart, to be vulnerable, to believe that somehow God is not waiting to perfect you further. Actually, it's in the service that we usually get perfected. I'm not saying he doesn't want to perfect you further. I'm just saying he's not waiting because he's done everything about saving you that he's ever going to do. And the Holy Spirit will use this process as sanctification. And the truth is he's not done with any of us. I still feel his foul on my life, fitting me tighter and tighter, snapping me into place. And if he, you know what? If he wants to move that place, you know, that's his business. He's the architect, right? That's his business. He wants to move me around. I don't have a ministry. I have a Lord. <laughs> God wants us to get this. Amen. I want you to stand up with me this morning. And I, I'm just going to ask you for 60 seconds of a Pharisee-free zone where you get really honest with God. And I'm going to ask you just to take whatever obstacle it might be, even if you can't identify it, but you know it's there. That's kind of how I am because, I'm, I, like I said, I'm private. Sometimes I don't know what holds me back, but I can feel the emergency break on. You know, I could feel it. I can't identify it, but I could feel it. And I just say, Lord, I, I, I don't want to be there. I, I, I want to be more open. I want to be more connected. I want to be more vulnerable. I want to be more needy of other people. That's a scary place. I left home when I was 14 years old. I learned how to be a man at a very young age. Not a good man, but a man. I learned how to take care of myself. I learned how to fight my own fights. I learned how to be independent. And those are all good things if they're sanctified. And they're all terrible things if they're not. Are you with me? So, sometimes it's hard for me to really be in that vulnerable needy position. So I work hard at it because I'm a prisoner of what I believe. I'm not going to be led by what I feel at the end of the day. I'm going to go with what I believe. Amen? Okay, lift up your hands. Just present yourself to God. Romans 12. We present ourselves as a living offering to you this morning, God, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, everything we are, God, everything we're not, Holy Spirit, everything we are and everything we're not, Spirit of God, we present ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, you see us as a needed peace, Lord. In your divine design, you saw us, you fitted us, you purchased us, you've saved us for such a time like this, God. If ever the world needed some parts taken off the wall, today's that day, God. Today's that day, God, where we are desperate for inward integrity, where the church can speak with authority and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit like never before, God, in Jesus' name. God, that we'll let down every barrier, every piece of individualism and and and. and independence that paralyzes us. God, excuses we make, Lord. The imperfection of others. God, your word says, not forsaking our own assembly. You cannot relate to the head without being part of the body. It's just impossible. It's impossible. If you want a relationship with the Father, you've got to relate to his kids. Leave it go. Just leave it go. Say, well, I've tried doing that before. Well, you know what? A righteous man falls down seven times and he gets back up. If you tried doing it before, God bless you. You did the right thing. Now do it again. If it was worth doing once, it's worth doing twice. If it was worth doing twice, it's worth doing it until you get it right. Hallelujah. But God wants you connected. Your flesh and the devil don't. Okay? Let's get it right. Let's be the people who do not go on sinning willfully after having a knowledge of the truth. That God saved you from something to something. Let's be the church. Let's be a people that when the cloud moves, we are instantly mobilized because we're radically connected to the head and to the body in Jesus' name. And no matter what our part is, whether we're the nut behind the wheel, 
or we're just that little key that no one would ever pay attention to. We rejoice that we get to be a part of the whole. Every day, I thank God. Every day, I thank God that I get to be a part of the whole. Every day, I thank God for the privilege of being part of the body of Christ. And I've told the Lord a hundred times, no, I'm serious, I'd rather be, uh, you know, a doorkeeper in, in the house of God than a king in the, in, the, in the house of the world. Just the privilege of serving. What an honor. Oh, if we could get it. If we could get it. Come on now. If we could get it. Let's get it. Let's be that people to get it. I'm, I'm admonishing you. Fight for it in Jesus' name. Refuse to be shaken off in Jesus' name. Press in, be fouled in, be placed in. The Bible says it has pleased the Father to place every member in the body. Every member, without exception. That includes you. Amen. Amen.